This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Okay, so now I'm going to give you a little bit of an update because you all weren't here in the first service. I know you're looking around thinking, wow, there's still quite a few people here. That's what I did as well because I was surprised. I'm going to be honest with you. As your pastor, full of faith, I said to all of our serving teams today, it's okay if nobody comes to the first service. We'll just practice. And um, because I thought it's like minus 900 out and um, who's going to come? But I'm going to tell you that the bottom was full in the first service, and uh, we had kids' church and kids, and that's a really good problem. We're, listen, um, the truth is God is going to increase our numbers in these days. I just know that like I know my that I'm breathing right now, and it's, it's good that I'm breathing because otherwise that would be weird. Um, I know some of you are on the ground floor for the first time. I talked to a whole bunch of people after the first service, and they were like, it's really weird sitting down on the first floor. Um, I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to get to go to the balcony at some time soon, so just enjoy your time on the floor as it stands. We're so glad you're here, though. I, I just know that God wants to speak to us in powerful ways. A part of the way that God wants to do that, this is, we're going into our second week of prayer and fasting. One of the most important things that I learned, one of the most important disciplines, part of my rule of life was praying and fasting. And um, I, I talked about this a little bit last week. Um, fasting doesn't have to be that you like take the full 14 days and don't eat anything. In fact, if you've never done that before, I'm going to emphatically, not as a medical doctor, but just as your friend, tell you not to do that. Uh, but, but you can fast something. So I talked to some of you that were fasting breakfast, and some of you are fasting sugar, some of you are fasting processed foods, and some of you are fasting Instagram. It's not a food, but you kind of have treated it like a food, so now you're getting rid of it as a food. Uh, and, and that's amazing. Uh, we just know that Jesus said some of these things only come by prayer and fasting. And so um, this guide has been really important to me this week. Uh, just there's something about getting very specific about writing our prayers down. Actually, like physically writing them. The book of Habakkuk 2 verse 2 says, God is talking to the prophet Habakkuk and says, write write down the vision so that when you're running, you can see it. And so I I think this can be applied to our prayer life as well. Some of you, God has done miracles in your life, but because you didn't write it down, you can't actually see that you were desperate about that. So I have things this week that I'm actually, I said to Dave a couple of weeks ago, what are we going to what are we going to really ask the Lord for while we fast? And so we decided a few things that we were going to ask the Lord for. And we sang that song about breakthrough today, and I'm believing for that kind of breakthrough. And I'm praying for you that God would bring you breakthrough. I talked to somebody after the first service who, who said this to me. Uh, she said, I've, I've been coming to church for a long time. I actually read my Bible through last year, but like I didn't, just didn't feel very connected to it. And I just appreciated that honesty. I think we're never going to get anywhere spiritually if we don't get honest, first of all. So she said, I just, you know, I read the stories and just had never felt any connection to it. And this year, when we started prayer and fasting and we started reading the Bible again, just a little shout out to the Bible reading. Oh, I'm your cheerleader this year. We're just about done Genesis. And if you haven't started, start with us. But anyway, she said to me, for the first time ever, I'm reading my Bible this, this week and feeling connected to the story, and God is speaking to me in a way that I've never felt before. And that's, that's, one of, that's like one of us. It's not a random story of somebody who lives far away. That's somebody who had to face minus 50 this week too. I, I just believe God wants to speak to us. He wants to make himself new and fresh to us. So if you haven't started, 
Start, start praying and fasting this week. If you haven't started into, your, into the Bible reading, oh, it's so good. I'm so, I'm so encouraged every morning. And I'm also in awe of some of you that get up so early in the morning and write it down. I, wow, praise God for you. You're up before the Lord, not really. Theologically, no, you are not, but okay. It's my second time through this. I'm, I'm rusty at this. We came from a church that did three services, so two services feels like I felt like I got a little bit of a break only having one for a number of years. So I am excited. Like Dave said, maybe I get funnier or I get less funny. You'll have to know in the second. You'll have to come to the first service sometime and find out. Um, we're in our series, our third week in our series entitled Pace. And we want to talk about in these next couple of weeks what it means to stay in step with the Spirit. Our, uh, our anchoring verse for this series is found in Galatians 5, verse 25. It says, since we live by the Spirit, I, I love how the Apostle Paul actually like assumes we're living by the Spirit. Do you know that when you're one of God's, his Spirit is on you and in you, and you, he has given you everything you need for godliness and holiness. So since we live by, the, it might not feel like you're living by the Spirit, but sometimes we just need to speak to ourselves and say, I, Jessica, am living by the Spirit. I did not feel like living by the Spirit at six o'clock this morning when my alarm went off, but I am living by the Spirit. So since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, because you can be in the Spirit and not in step with the Spirit. That's what the scripture tells us. Let us since we live by the Spirit, let's, let us keep in step by the, with the Spirit. And so throughout the series, we want to talk about what does it mean to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? And our hope, my hope particularly, is that this series would be really practical and help give you some um, help in developing your rule of life. So last week, we talked about what a rule of life is. And a rule of life, if you weren't here, is not anything to do with rules. In fact, the word rule comes from the Latin word regula, which means trellis. And most of us are not vine growers except for Palma, who is in the first service, and he grows grapes, and he knows that a trellis actually helps the vine grow strong. It keeps it away from predators. And when Jesus said that I am the vine and you are the branches, uh, he understood, and everybody listening to him would have understood that you need a structure to keep that vine strong. Now, Jesus doesn't need anything to keep him strong. Let me just clarify that. But you do. <laughs> And um, this is just because you're human and you're you. And so we, we put a rule of life in place. Last week we talked about how Bible reading would be a really good rule of life to put in place. We don't read the Bible so that we become better Bible readers. We read the Bible so that we can grow in our intentionality with Jesus, so that we grow in intimacy with Jesus. And we talked about last week how nothing, no intimate relationships happens without intentionality. So you never just fall into a good marriage. You don't fall into good friendships. You don't listen. And this is, by the way, this is true of a church community too. You don't uh, just like all of a sudden become part of a good, healthy church and like lean in there by accident. You actually have to take some time and lean in. This is why I would encourage you a little PSA for small groups next week. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Do you know, as we grow, this is going to be a really important, you don't, the, the truth is, um, somebody said to me today, well, like, how do you know everybody in the church? And the truth is, you don't, you don't need everybody to know you, but you do need 10 people to know you. You don't need a thousand people to know you. In fact, that would be like overwhelming, but you do need 10 people to notice, hey, I noticed you weren't here last week. Were you okay? Hey, I, I noticed that I saw on Facebook or 
Instagram or whatever platform you use when you're not fasting it, uh, I notice that your mom is sick. Can I pray for you? And this is how we're going to do this. Um, so, so, but nothing happens without intentionality. Nothing. Uh, weeds, we talked about how weeds are like very good at just growing randomly. Uh, this week, I want to talk about a particular practice, the particular practice of silence and solitude as part of the trellis that we are building in our life, part of the rule of life that we are building. Uh, you know what we aren't spending much time in our life doing lately? Boredom. Uh, do you remember when you'd go on a plane and like the premier seat, now it could be still for you that this is the premier seat, but the premier seat was the window seat because there was nothing to do on a plane. Now, I don't know really what the window seat did for you. Like you just looked out and looked for birds to see if your plane was hitting them, which would have been been impending doom, I guess, so you could be a doom watcher. But there, there, really, there is nothing to do. I can remember going on, um, when I was 17, I moved from Ontario to British Columbia, and it was a five-hour flight, and they didn't have, like, fancy, couldn't watch, like, movies. I don't, I, maybe you could if you sat in first class, but if you were, like, regular, you just sat there for five hours. Now, to those of you under 30 here, that sounds like, I know that sounds like doom. You did not have a cell phone. You did not have your only hope is that you sat with somebody who did not loudly snore the entire time. And you might have had a yellow, do you know where I'm going with this? A yellow Walkman. Some of you remember the yellow Walkman, and when you got it, you thought you were premium. You were like the coolest person on earth. Remember it? Bright, yellow, crazy. Some of you are looking at me like I have no clue what you're talking about. Um, or, or you'd stand in the grocery store aisle, and my mom always told me that I could not read the National Enquirer because God was not in those newspapers. <laughs> so my whole life, I would stand at the grocery store before phones and just like look at my feet. Dear Lord, don't let me look at what's happening. Or the aliens are invading, and the Pope is doing something weird. I'm just gonna. What we don't, or you take your kids on a road trip and you'd play like 9,000 games of I Spy. Which, can I, just, can I just talk about that for a second, parents? When you were playing I Spy with your kids and things are going by at like three million miles an hour, what a weird game to play. It's so mean to your kids. Like, I spied something 10 miles ago. <laughs> we don't do boredom very well. A study showed that 77% of us, so there's 13% of you here today who don't understand this, when we're bored, we go to our phone. And we scroll, and I know that we rag on teenagers about being the worst at it, but parents and adults, we are just as bad. We, you go to parks today, kids are just raising themselves on those parks, because moms and dads are reading the news and other things. Uh, we, we don't do boredom very well, and the great threat is not just simply a loss of quiet, but it is robbing us of our ability to be present. And it's robbing us of our ability to actually be in the moment. And we're losing great sections of our lives living in some sort of alternate reality. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is there a way that we can be more present, more present to what God is doing right here, right now in our lives? I would argue from scripture that Jesus actually had a rule of life, that he had a trellis, because we know from scripture that he was completely God and completely man. 
Jesus had structure and intentionality about his life. And today our text is found in our texts are found in Luke chapter four and chapter five. I want to start reading at Luke chapter four. Verse one, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So it's interesting here is that how Jesus starts his public ministry is he goes out into the wilderness. This is like the weirdest um, uh, career advice for anybody. You're starting your career, you just finished your degree, go out into the wilderness for 40 days. In fact, in some careers, this would be death because you would forget how to do the thing that you were trained to do after 40 days. Um, but Jesus models right at the beginning how important this call to silence and solitude would be. I want you to see here, this is just an aside, but I want you to see who was it that called Jesus into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. And this is interesting for us because often when we find ourselves in wilderness places, or places of wilderness, we think it must be the enemy. I must be there. And when we find ourselves in a wild place of wilderness, tempted by the enemy, we think we must have done something wrong. Something, but in fact, scripture reminds us that sometimes God calls us into the wilderness to prepare us. And some of you are having a wilderness season right now. It feels like you're being tempted on every level or it feels like nothing is working out. Imagine how Jesus fully man what if, if you're Jesus and you're about to start your ministry and you get pulled into the wilderness with nothing to eat and nothing to drink and only temptation? The tendency for us when we're in the middle of a hard spot is just to say, God can't be in this. God, God must have abandoned me. But the scripture reminds us the Holy Spirit was preparing him. It could be that you are in a season of preparation. But this was not a one-time event for Jesus. Kind of me, I'd be like, all right, I did my 40 days. We're done now. This is sometimes how I act at the end of prayer and fasting. Like, because it feels like when you're fasting, every Burger King commercial in the world is on. I don't even like Burger King, and I really badly want to go to Burger King every single night. All I want to eat is pizza, Burger King. You get those, and why is it? it why is it that when you go get your mail in January, it's like, here, you can have $14.99 for three meals at McDonald's, which normally it's $68, so, you know, it's a little bit of rounding up. Uh, or, like, you can go to Dairy Queen right now. I got those tickets. Anybody get those two coupons? You can get a whole meal at Dairy Queen for 10 bucks for two people. Okay, this idea that we get tempted, in our, and I'm a little bit like this. When it's over, I'm like, I want to throw a party. 14 days are over. Woo! And if I'm Jesus, after 40 days, I'm going to want to say, no, I don't want to do this silence and solitude anymore. I did my time. Kind of like a jail sentence. But this was not a one-time event for Jesus. It was a pattern. It was part of his rule of life. And in Luke chapter 4, what we're seeing is that Jesus is going to lay out a pattern, and it's a pattern that we can follow. In Luke chapter 5, we see this again. Um, by the way, by the way, more than half of Jesus' miracles in the, in the Gospels were interruptions. Some of you want your whole life planned out. And you say this to God, like, I will do something if it's like A to B, everything lined up. But even for Jesus, half of his miracles were like people like coming out in the middle and interrupting him. That does a number on my that does a number on my faith. We're gonna talk about this in the middle. That the that the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's control. 
And so, so right at the beginning, this is like cleared off the table. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says, Yet the news spread about him all the more, so that crowds of people came to him to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus... Now, what you expect here is, but Jesus ramped up and figured out how to franchise his healing powers. But Jesus tried really hard to please everybody and make everybody love him so much. No, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, I think we read that often and we think, yeah, yeah, totally normal. It's very countercultural. When things are going really, really well, what we're going to do is withdraw. But in fact, that's the rule of life that Jesus calls us to. The word lonely place here is the Greek word arama, and it means a quiet place, a distraction-free place. And Jesus, he didn't withdraw to veg out. Okay, like, so now I know some of you are already like, yes, this is the message for me. I've come on the right week. It means that when I'm done work, I can just, like, lay on my bed and have Netflix on in the background. But Jesus didn't actually withdraw to veg out. He withdrew to draw near to God, to come near to him and to pray. And notice he withdrew often. This was a common practice for Jesus. Um, And by the way, this was in the middle of all kinds of needs, pressing needs. You can imagine the people that were coming to Jesus saying, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do this. And Jesus still found ways to pull away. I know, and this, this must be true of our lives as well. Now, already I know that for some of you, this seems impossible. Like, how will I do this? We're going to get to that in a minute. But suffice to say that Jesus did this often. Think of something you do often. I hope it's brush your teeth. Okay, so like, or shower, or what's something that you do often? You listen to podcasts, you read books, you check your email. So of all the things that we do often... I wonder if your life mirrors Jesus, who withdrew often to be with the Father. Let's look at a few times that Jesus did withdraw. He withdrew before important decisions. In Luke 6, chapter 12, he withdrew at the death of a close friend, Matthew 14, 10. He withdrew at the pressure of popularity, Matthew 14, chapter 23. He withdrew before significant events, Matthew chapter 17. He withdrew at the daily demands of life, Matthew chapter 5, over and over again in Scripture. In fact, the book of Luke records Jesus withdrawing at least nine times. Now, I need you to see this in the grand scope of Scripture. Jesus doing anything nine times is a lot of times. In fact, um, theologians will tell you that any time you see in Scripture something being uh, spoken of more than once, you should pay attention. Okay, so once, twice, three times, four times, I don't have to count to nine. At nine times, the lights should be going ding, 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 for us. This is what the scripture writer is wanting to draw our attention to in the scripture. Jesus was continually withdrawing. Some of you are introverts right now, and you're thinking, cool. This is the message for me. Jesus was an introvert. Praise the Lord. Um, Susan Cain wrote a book called Quiet a number of years ago. And this book is not a Christian book, but it is an interesting book uh, talking about the power of introverts. 
And she talks about how evangelicalism at the, be at the beginning, and this is the particular brand, Pentecostalism, that we are all part of, is set up for extroverts. And it's kind of true, right? Come to church, sing a song, like people who like to really... Did you like my moves there? My kids would be totally <laughs> devastated that I was doing moves. My, my son is sleeping in the front row, so... <laughs> I just draw attention to that right now. Okay, he's, he's unable to wake up. He was in the first service. This is a rerun for him. Apparently, it was that exciting in the first service. Um, but Susan Cain talks about how evangelicalism is set up for extroverts and how introverts find it much easier to draw away and to withdraw and be with Jesus. And this is actually kind of true. It's kind of true. What's interesting, we're going to see in the Psalms in a second, is that the Psalms both call us to withdraw and to celebrate. What's amazing about this is that it is a reminder that we need each other. We cannot be just a group of like a thousand extroverts all in one room with no introvert. So listen, if you're an introvert in this room, I want to call your attention. I, I want to I honor you today. We actually need your voice that says we need to withdraw. We need to have quiet. We need to, we need to quiet ourselves. We need to listen. And if you've been made to feel ever before like your voice wasn't important or like if you're not hyper or not like, I don't know, like I, someone explained it to me this way. Electricity is electricity. This is the Holy Spirit. Different things do different things when we plug them into that said electricity. So some of you are like some kind of wild appliance. <laughs> it's like a strobe light. And we honor that. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. And some of you are like a quiet machine. You plug yourself in and all babies are like going to sleep. And we honor that in you. It does not mean though. So for some of us, we've just said, well, like I'm an extrovert. I hate quiet. I can never do that. And it's not my, it makes me mad. Uh, that's not, uh, the example of Jesus is our example to follow. So we've got to ask the Lord. So those of us for the, whom this is hard, we've got to say, Jesus, help me. Help me to withdraw. Because it does uh, Jesus knew that in order to carry out the work of the Father, he needed to regularly withdraw. So if Jesus needed to withdraw in all of his perfection, it really brings us to the question, why do we think we don't need to? William Barclay said this, it may well be that the whole trouble in our lives is that we give God no opportunity to speak to us because we don't know how to be still and to listen we give God no time to recharge us with spiritual energy and strength. Some of you are living on yesterday's dregs. You're living on what the Lord did for you at youth camp in 1989. Because there is no time when we wait on him. And he says this, how can we shoulder life's burdens if we have no contact with him who is the Lord of all good life? So as Christians, sometimes what we do is we do a lot of talking about God and we are called to testify the book of Revelation says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. But we cannot testify of something that we do not know on an ongoing basis. Some of us are like, uh, like what we're actually doing is like uh, TV evangelizing a product that we used in 1985. It's like we used the sham wow and you're still talking about it, but you haven't used it. Since 1985, some of you have no idea what H's talk said. <sighs> yeah. We have to actually get here and now. And the only way we do that, the only way we do that, is by being called back to silence 
in solitude. You might be thinking, well, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He didn't have some of the pressure that I have. He didn't live with a maniacal boss or with deadlines, or he didn't live with an entrepreneurial spirit. Like, he wasn't building a Fortune 500 company. I want you to hear this verse from Mark chapter 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Okay, there are two people in this room right now. There are those of you that are not used to coming to church at 11 o'clock, and you got a timer on, because at 12, you turn into a different person, because you're starving. Uh, I am one of those such people. That's how you know I'm never going to go late in the second service. Um, These people had so much pressure on them, they forgot to eat. I don't even understand this scripture when I read it. Like, how could you forget to eat? And Jesus said to remind them, come on, come away, have rest. The disciples were under great amounts of pressure. Jesus was under great amount of pressure. He was building a ministry. Uh, But he still took time to get away. Jesus understood what it was to be in constant demand. I understand, Mom and Dad, that you are in constant demand, that you have little ones that are pulling at your legs, and that it feels like these years will never end. I, I want you to see, though, how Jesus responded to the demanding response of other people. Jesus' commitment to solitude and silence helped him to love people better. Okay, so three things happen when we make silence and solitude our friend. Number one, we slow down to hear God. With all the noise in our world, we run the risk of drowning out the only voice that matters. There's so many voices that are coming at us. There's some crazy marketing statistic that you have thousands of voices yelling at you, and you know this to be true. We have to find ways to have silence and solitude so that we can hear the voice of God. Second thing we find is that we remember who we are in Jesus. Do you know, nobody, nobody, I would assert that nobody gets to tell you who you are except God. Not your parents, not your wife, not your husband, not your children. Nobody gets to tell you who you are in Jesus but Jesus himself. And when you get into a place of silence and solitude with God, you know what God's never going to say to you? He's never going to say, I'm displeased with you. He's never going to say, you're like worthless. He's never going to say to you, I, like he's never going to make the mistakes that we make as people. God is always going to speak words of life affirming. Now, sometimes that will mean correction, but the correction is always done with life affirming thinking in the background. But if you never, if you never get into God's presence, if you never hear his voice, you will consequently never hear him saying the things that he wants to say to you. You'll never be reminded that he knew you before you were in your mother's womb, that he had a plan and purpose for you. You'll never be able to hear him remind you that there are still things that he has ahead for you. I understand this, that... um, We have an identity crisis in the church. Right now, we have all kinds of people in the church that can't seem to understand who they are in Christ, and so we're dealing with all kinds of things. And this is no, this is, if you're one of these people, this is not a a, a disrespect to you at all, but we've got all kinds of people that can't remember who they are, whose they are. So it leads to anxiety, because if I don't know whose I am, 
And I feel like I'm like adrift. If I don't know, if I don't know that I'm Jesus's, there's all kinds of voices pulling at me. And I would say that that has a direct correlation that's directly tied back to our inability to stop and listen and hear his voice to us. And when we stop and listen, sometimes his voice, somebody asked me after the first service, they said, Jess, I don't hear God's voice. And I said, you know how we hear often, mostly, this is how I hear God's voice. It's through scripture. So uh, I'll tell you an example. I woke up in the middle of the night, probably at about 4.15 or so last night, and I was going to bed. I was a little bit worried about the power, and, you know, we all got that, turn off all your lights and turn off your oven, and it was like at dinner time, so it was weird. Cook with the microwave. (laughs) Anyways, um, I was worried, like, maybe we shouldn't have church. I'm not sure if we're doing the right thing. Anyways, I woke up, and my mind started going just like that, and right away... Uh, a scripture came to my heart. And I knew that was the voice of the Lord to me. Now, this is why we say to get in God's word. Because God's word is going to give you, you're, you're going to have something, the Holy Spirit's going to have something to draw from. Now, I'm not saying God can do a creative miracle and remind you of his word, and he can speak to you in a loud voice if he wants to. He is God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But generally, and even throughout the scripture, the prophets were often spoken to by God through his word. Jesus quoted the word of God all throughout his ministry. So it wouldn't be any different for us either. That's why I want to encourage you. If you haven't started the Bible reading program, oh, I'm going to say this every week. I know it's going to be, I told you, it's going to be such a boring year every day. Every week, I'm going to say to you, read your Bible. Because God's going to speak to you that way. It's going to transform you. It's going to change you. It's going to turn you into the person that God has. You're going to reach your highest, you'll never reach your highest potential as a Christian if you don't tap into his word. Tap into his word. And listen, when, when we hear his voice like this, when we take time, um, some of you have longed to grow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You want to be used. Well, you, you won't just be used when it's like uh, you're in the middle of song three on a Sunday morning. So for a lot of years, um, the book of First uh, Corinthians tells us to like, really earnestly go after the spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of prophecy. You would know the voice of God. Prophecy is simply this, just hearing God's voice and speaking it out. And I, I, for a lot of years, began to pray, God, would you use me in that? Like, would I be able to, like, pray for people and speak speak to people in in a way that's, like, meaningful, powerful? And uh, I I felt a little bit of a chastisement from the Lord. How are you ever going to work in prophecy if you never listen to me? You've got all this stuff to say all the time. <laughs> You're never listening. So we actually, the, the third thing is this, we open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't often experience the whole abundance of the Spirit because we're distracted. Some of you, I want to call that prophetic gift out of you this morning. That God actually wants to use you in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He wants to use you to lay hands on people and see them healed wants to use you in the discerning of spirits and all the gifts that the, the New Testament talks about. But if you are so busy listening to talk radio for eight hours a day, you'll never be able to hear his voice so that you can move in the abundant life that he wants you to grow in. This is how Jesus got all of his power. 
By the way, we retreat to re-engage. We, do, we don't come into solitude. I'm not calling us to monasticism, unless God has actually called you to that. Well, then be obedient. But for the majority of us, for 99% of us, we don't, we don't retreat for just the retreat. We retreat so that we can re-engage with the world, so that we can become like Jesus for the sake of the world. Henry Nouwen said it this way, without solitude, it's impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to him. St. John of the Cross said, silence is God's first language. Oh, I thought about that for a couple of hours this week. Silence is God's first, so, okay, okay, so I'm, I'm going to get real for a second. When I started to put this as part of my trellis, part of my rule of life, I expected that I would come into solitude with God and it would be like Charlton Heston, okay? Not me, just, like I expected God to be like, Jessica, I have a plan. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting loud and like very powerful smoke around my feet or something. But mostly, what would happen is I would come into silence and I would fall asleep. It's very powerful. <laughs> or, or it would be silent and I would hear nothing. And there's nothing more deafening than silence. Have any of you ever tried this? You've thought you're going to listen to God and then it's like, I need a plan. Or you're listening to God about something, like you need a decision. Particularly when I was a young adult and I'd go on dates, I would want to know, God, is this the person for me? <laughs> Silence. Or should I move? Or what should I do with my life? Or what decisions I should make? And so I'm trying to build a trellis for my life. And I've got just silence, and I think God must hate me. Have any of you ever thought that? Like, God, where are you? Did I do something wrong? So then I'd go into a whole spiral of like, I've done, I've gone through all the things. What have I done, God? Did I cut somebody off on the highway today? Did I speed? Were the angels taken off my car when I went above 100? You know, I you just spiral into all these wildness, heresies, really. And then I stumbled across this thing, this quote. Silence is God's first language. Often, God will be silent because it is in the silence that he is forming you. If God spoke like this every time you needed him to speak, do you know what you would become? Insolent. You'd become a brat. You, you would not become somebody who would know how to still themselves. So if God is silent to you right now, that's okay. God, would, let, let me assure you, God will speak. He always speaks, but sometimes it takes time because he's trying to quiet you. I, I remember doing this when my kids were little and they would be like bouncing around the house and I'd want to tell them something and I'd say, I need you to sit down. I need you to sit down. And they'd be like, you know, the ants in their pants, whole routine. You know, if you talk to them, well, they've got ants in their pants. What are they doing? Not listening. Like you're going to tell them, I need you to clean your room and do your chores. And they're just not, they're going to be doing other things like fighting each other and stuff. Sometimes, this is how we come to God in silence. We've got ants in our pants. We have not learned to sit and be still. And so, God, and so what I did with my kids is I'd just be silent. I just would not say anything. And if it took five minutes, fine. If it took seven minutes, fine. 
If it took 10, I was kind of getting impatient, but okay. We're gonna wait. When I was a teacher, I mean, if you, all the teachers in the house, you know this is true. You know you lift your hand, you remember this? Like a, Cindy, I see you waving your head, yes. Lift your hand. You're not gonna give instructions while everybody's going wild. You're gonna wait. Some of you are in, it feels like God's not speaking. Don't worry, just wait. Just keep waiting. God's going to speak. He's forming you in the silence. He's forming you in the silence. Mother Teresa said it this way. She said, God is a friend of silence. And so should we be. First Kings tells this story about how God was not in the fire. Now, there are other times in Scripture that God was in the fire and he was not in the wind but he was in the silence. And the Hebrew there for the word silence is an interesting word. It's a, it means like sheer, sheer silence, like deafening silence. And God was in the deafening silence. We must find a way in our lives to get to that place, to silence ourselves. Let me just read um, a few scriptures, and then I'm going to talk to us about how do we practically do this. If we are in the practice of sitting in stillness, we will be present in his leading. Habakkuk 2 verse 20 says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Zephaniah 1 verse 7 says, be silent before the sovereign Lord. Psalm 4 4 says, tremble, tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. When I read this, I thought, Dave really should have this as a life verse for me. <laughs> Some of you could memorize this and just quote it to your wife or husband tonight. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. Okay, now this is an interesting psalm. We, in, um, in North American culture, we have this funny way of taking scripture and applying it individually to our lives. So um, be still and know that I am God. We think I be still and know. But in fact, this psalm, Psalm 46, is a psalm, a collective psalm. It's a psalm of the people. And the Hebrew there uses the word we. It's using the, the, the terminology we. And what it's calling us to is this idea that we would be still and know that he is God. And at the end of the service, we're just going to have a chance to collectively, because there's something powerful about us collectively hearing what God is speaking to us, what God is saying to us. Be still means to cease striving. And the invitation is to be still, to cease striving. And this is what it means. Like, okay, so you know sometimes you're quiet, but you're still striving? By that, I mean this. You're quiet, but inside you're trying to figure it all out. Like, how will I work out this relationship? How will I work out my finances? How will I get this on track? How will I get that on track? Being still means saying, God... I'm going to give up trying to figure it out, and I'm going to let you figure it out for me. I'm going to give it to you. Okay, so how do we practically go about doing this? Pick a place, pick a time, pick a practice. Pick a place, pick a time, pick a practice. Now, when I was a mom of four little kids, I remember hearing a message about silence and solitude and thinking, ha, I have a child that gets up in the morning and talks from the morning time she gets up to the time she goes to bed. How am I going to be silent? And the Lord just reminded me, do you know when I get in the car, I don't know if you're like me, I turn on the radio right away. 
Lord just said, you, you got time. You got time to be silent before me. So I just picked a time. The time is when I was in the car, when I didn't have my kids in the car or when one of them was sleeping or two of them were sleeping. I just decided I wasn't going to put on the radio. I wasn't going to put on a podcast. This was not time for learning. This was time for production. This was time for me to listen. And so five minutes, I lived in Toronto at the time, so you're in the car all the time, so I had many hours. I just learned to be silent before God on my way home from work, on my way to work. Scott, what are you speaking to me? Just be silent before you. And I'm going to tell you straight up, some days it was boring, and I really badly wanted to turn on a radio. But the discipline, the building of a trellis, saying, God, would you speak to me, changed everything for me. Changed everything. It actually allowed that to happen. So then when I get in my car now and I'm by myself, it's the first thing I do. And some of you, listen, I've been in my car before and the Lord's given me a message for you and I've I've been able to call you and tell you. That's not because I'm more spiritual. It's just because I've given a bit of room for God to speak to me. Some of my best ideas. I don't have great ideas, but every now and then I get an idea that works. They've only come because I've like created this space to be silent before God. Say, God, what are you speaking to me? And I, I want to implore you that the same can happen for you. You see, in the quiet, I am forced to confront who I actually am. Part of this is not just uh, imploring God for things. It's confronting who I truly am. Confronting the parts of my life that are not straight with God. Confronting the parts of my life that I've tried to manipulate. This is what silence before God does. And I said before, the opposite of faith is not doubt, it is control. When I am silent before him and still before him, not striving, giving everything to him, I am deciding. But I am not in control. I am not in control, God. You are in control. And I'm giving that to you. See, one word from God is worth more than a thousand words from anybody else. This is why we retreat into silence and solitude. Fulton Sheen said this, prayer begins by talking to God, but it ends by listening to him. In the face of absolute truth, silence is the soul's language. So let me ask you, does your schedule look like one who actually wants to hear from God? Maybe you're here and you've never had a relationship with God where you speak to him and expect him to speak back to you. Maybe this all sounds foreign to you today. The amazing news is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came so that you could have a very real living and really living and breathing relationship with Jesus. In fact, God sent Jesus so that you could have this living and breathing relationship with him where we speak to him and he speaks back to us. You see, left on our own, and we all know this, there's this huge chasm between us and God. And you know, I know people say it's not stylish to talk about sin, but I've never met somebody who's like, oh, I got that. You're human. You know we all make mistakes. And every day that grows, that chasm between us, a perfect God, and imperfect people grows. But Jesus came to bridge that. So today I want to, maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to like, Jesus, I believe you came to earth and died for me so that bridge could be, that chasm could be bridged. 
I want to encourage you today. Say yes to Jesus. Don't wait till tomorrow. I know some of you are going to wait till next week or you're going to wait till it feels right or you're going to wait till you cry. Or you're going to wait. Don't wait. Just say yes to Jesus today. It's the best decision you'll ever make. And then we start this relationship with him where God speaks to us and we speak to God and it's this beautiful relationship of him transforming you, making you more like him. Others of you are here and you have said yes to Jesus, but if you're honest, you've not been intentional about developing a rule of life that involves silence and solitude. Pick a time, pick a place, pick a practice. Part of that maybe just like in that little prayer and fasting journal, maybe some of us just need to say, God, would you help me to develop this? Pick a time, pick a place, pick a practice. It will not happen. But there's nobody that fell into solitude in our world unintentionally. Pick a time, pick a place, pick a practice. It might be as weird as saying as when I go in the shower, I'm just going to be quiet before the Lord. Like if you have little kids, this is part of it, right? We just have to get very practical about what it means. Maybe it's when you're cooking. I just know we want to be a community that hears from God, yes? Not just for ourselves, but for others. Do you know that there are people all over this room struggling with things that you could help them with? Maybe the Lord will give you a word for them for. But we actually have to do this for each other. If you won't do it for yourself, some, some people, some of you are just so selfless. I know that. You're just so selfless. You're not going to do it for yourself. But maybe you'll do it for somebody else. Your children need you. They need you to be filled with the power and the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can speak to them in a way that they need to hear. They don't need more religion. They need a mom and dad who really know Jesus. Your friends, young adults, need you to actually have an intentional relationship with Jesus. Can I ask you to stand? We're just in this moment. We're just going to have just a one moment of silence. I'm going to release you to go. Some of you have never just done this before. I find that in these moments, when I'm about to have a moment of silence, 8,000 things will come in my head. Things that are undone, things that are broken, the way that I'm the worst, yada, 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 all the ways I'm broken will come directly to my face. I'm going to encourage you just in this moment, just before we start, when those things come to your mind, you're just going to say, God, I release those to you. My children, God, I release those to you. My anger, God, I release that to you. My inadequacies, God, I release that to you. The things I'm asking you for, God, I release that to you. All of it. So Jesus, I just pray that in this moment of silence that you would give us ears to hear you, heart to understand. Just all over the place, would you just raise your hands in an act of surrender to say, God, would you speak to me now? So collectively, God, we wait on you in stillness and silence. Some of you in this moment might be having God give you a picture. He does that in scripture. Some of you might have a scripture verse that's coming to your mind. And that's God's words to you. 
Some of you might have somebody's face coming before you. Maybe it's somebody you need to call or forgive or release. Or Just God, I thank you today that you're speaking to your children. You're God who still speaks to us. For those of us, God, that don't yet know you, that haven't said yes to you, give us the courage, God, to say yes today to you. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to call you to say yes to him today. Some of us have said yes to Jesus, but have said, put our arms out and said, you could come no further. We don't really want God talking to us because it feels frightening. I just want to remind you that perfect love casts out all fear. There's no fear in coming to God. His love is, is he only wants to lead you in love. And so I just speak the love of the Father over you, that you would know his peace that passes all understanding, that you would hear his voice of joy and pleasure over you today, that we would become people who look more like Jesus, that we would develop a rule of life that would make us more like him. In Jesus' name, amen. I would just encourage you to just continue that practice. Maybe the Lord gave you a word for somebody here today. Just after the service, I just encourage you to share that with them. Be brave and courageous. God's with you. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come at this time. You know, at Journey Church, we never want to leave uh, without giving you an opportunity to have somebody pray for you. The road that we are all on is a long one. It's a long one, and it's a hard one. There are things that some of you are dealing with that are too hard to handle alone. So I want to call you today as we close just with this song. Would you, um, if you, if you need prayer for anything, would you just come? Maybe you need somebody to say, I, I want to start this rule of life, of silence and solitude, but I don't know where to start. Come, have somebody pray for you. Maybe you just have something in your family or just feels hard. Would you just come as well? Let's, let's make this a house of prayer and uh, just continue to believe that God's going to continue to speak to us. Abel, would you lead us? Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.